Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast across Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name's Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'm Scott, and I'm one of the partners here at Crossroads. That's right, and today we're talking about David and Goliath. Mm, big versus little. That's right. It's one of the lesser-known stories in the Bible, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's kind of funny. It actually has the most cultural, you know, I mean, people use David and Goliath all the time for sports metaphors or, you know, stories. It's a it's a pretty oft-used, you know, story from the Bible. When Boise State was in the Fiesta Bowl, I mean, going against Oklahoma, this was the primary oh my gosh. analogy that was used. I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> you bet I was. It still cracks me up that every time I go into Walmart here, it's playing. Yeah, I know. It's it. awesome. People love Boise State here. It's so good. Yeah, they do. That's awesome. Yeah, no, and, and it was really cool for the message we're about to listen to. Uh, Jim had a sling that he got while he was in the Holy Land and brought it and actually had Tanner, one of our high school kids, work on work on it. And he got pretty good at it. And he actually uh, threw it in as a demonstration in the church at the wall with a tennis ball, obviously not a rock. Um, that would have been not fun for George, our facilities guy, George and Nikki, our facilities <laughs> people. They would have been mad. I thought they it was a, a Nerf ball, didn't they? Yeah, it was like a Nerf ball. Nerf, yeah, okay. that's what it was. Yeah. Gotcha. And uh, he practiced with it and got pretty good. And uh, yeah, he... You got to come and demonstrate. So as you guys hear that in the message, you'll actually know, you know, because obviously you can't see, you'll know uh, what happened. So we're going to give this a message, uh, a listen, and then we will get back together and talk about it. This is just a great day to celebrate God's goodness. And, you know, we, 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 we've been on a series, If again, if you're new, we've been in a series called Echad, which is the Hebrew word that means alone. It's when God says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord alone. And what that word alone means is there are no other gods. <laughs> I'm it, and I'm all you need. And so throughout Scripture, we find this word Echad, which constantly reminds the people of Israel and us today that there is only one God. Now, we might come up with gods of our own making, but they are not real gods. It's not that God is afraid of competition. He has no competition. So the idea behind this word echad is God alone meets the needs of his people, and he alone is our refuge. And so we've been walking through the Old and New Testament, looking at stories of echad, where God shows up and demonstrates his glory so that we might trust him. Now, kids, I know you're in here today, and we're going to do some fun stuff, all right? Um, and after the service, you're going to be able to come up and, and look at the things I've got here. And because there are rocks, maybe parents would like to come with them. Um, <laughs> yeah, these are, these are rocks that are going to tie in with our story today. But the story that I want to tell you is a story of how not only did Israel, was it, were they given land, sometimes they lost the land. And we've talked about this because when they disobeyed, God allowed them to, 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 to experience the consequences of their sinful choices. Uh, Jack Beck in the newest uh, Bible atlas that's still yet to come out in about the next six months, he said the Lord reversed the successful land acquisition stories of Joshua and pray, replaced them with land loss stories in Judges. When Israel abandoned the Lord, he allowed other people groups to fill the power vacuum in Canaan, and those people, in turn, oppressed the chosen people. When they felt the pain and cried out for help, 
He raised up judges for them. These were charismatic military leaders who defeated those uh, who were oppressing Israel. But it was never long before these brief moments of rest gave way to a return to pagan worship and yet another land loss. So the land that God gave Abraham back in about 2000 BC that wasn't, necess- that wasn't possessed until Joshua came across the Jordan River into Jericho area about 1100 BC was, was a land that God said, I'm going to give you this and this is your possession. This is a land that will be like an icon to you that I am with you, that I am for you, I forgive you. It's sort of like the cross is is an icon for Christians today. We look at that and we we don't see wood. We don't worship that. What it is, it represents our salvation. It was by his stripes, Jesus' blood shed for us that we are forgiven. We look at a cross and we say, that's a reminder of who God is to us. The land was that for the people of Israel. And so, so the story I want to tell you today is a story similar to what Jack was talking about there, not just land acquisition, but the threat of land loss. Yet another enemy of Israel was coming in. They already lived on the coastal plain of what we would call today the Gaza Strip, okay? They lived there, and they had moved in uh, to Israel, the land, from the ocean. They had come from places in Greece and Europe. And about the same time, Joshua and the children of Israel crossed into the promised land. This group was called the Philistines. The Philistines were a people that were a constant thorn in the flesh for the Israelites. They were constantly trying to move in and take over the land, and the Israelites battled them for many, many years. The story that takes place is about four to 500 years after Joshua comes into the land. So the Philistines have been there for four or 500 years. And the story is that they are about to be conquered and under the reign of the second king of Israel, David, they will be defeated. But this is a story about a young man named David who is the second king, but not yet king. He's a kid, okay? So kids, listen up. This is a story about a kid. It's a story about a kid who leads the adults in reminding them of who God is. Jesus actually said, at times, a child will lead them. Sometimes it is our kids that lead us back into the presence of God. This is a story like that. And it was a time of the kings, and God was going to demonstrate his ability and his ability alone to deliver his people. It's a story about David, but it's also a story about a giant named Goliath. People think, well, those are fables. We don't really believe in giants. But we have giants today. We have Andre the giant who doesn't know him, right? The wrestler, if you didn't know, okay? But here's a story, here's a picture from the the first Persian Gulf War of one of the Afghan leaders. I would call that a giant. Some have speculated, what was this about Goliath and his five brothers from Goth, which is the area of the Gaza Strip, the area the Philistines live? Some have suggested maybe he was just unusually large. Um, The Bible, in, in all of its different translations, talk about his height being six cubits. One Greek translation of the Old Testament says four cubits, and so we go, what is it? Well, a cubit... Is, is the distance between your elbow and the tip of your finger. 
Today, in the average height of a person, that would be about 18 inches. In those days, where the average height of a man was somewhere between 5'2 and 5'5, that cubit could be mm, 16 inches. Well, that multiplied by 12 can make a difference. I mean, he, was he 8 feet tall? Was he 9 feet tall? And did the 9 feet include his helmet? We don't know. But let's just say he was big, really big, and very intimidating. Now, this is really interesting to note because Saul, the first king of Israel, is also a part of the story. And do you know what is said about Saul when he becomes king? This is what is said about him in 1 Samuel 9. It says that he was head and shoulders above his uh, peers. So we have another giant in this story, King Saul. We don't think about him being a giant. But he was literally the biggest man in Israel. Now, one of the things we need to know before we read the story is this. In ancient times, when two armies came together, oftentimes they would practice what is called champion-to-champion -champion fighting. You send out your biggest and baddest, we'll send out our biggest and baddest, they'll fight, and whoever wins, the other army will submit. It saves a lot of lives. So the story is that Goliath is out on this battlefield for 40 days taunting the Israelites to send out their biggest and baddest. I believe with all my heart what he was really doing was calling out King Saul. But King Saul was scared. He was behind the lines of the Israelites. And that's what happens here in this story. So let's take a look at it. And the story is found in 1 Samuel 17. If, you're got, if you have a Bible, turn there with me. If you don't and you want one, there are free Bibles in the racks, right in front of you, underneath you. 1 Samuel 17, if you're new to the Bible, it's about, uh, about a fifth of the way in from the left. Um, 1 Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. Now, I'm going to put the words up on the screen, but if you, you, you want to follow along, that'd be great. So here's where the story takes place, and this is why it's important. If you look at the map of Israel, you will see the little town of Goth uh, circled on the left. And then you'll also see the city of Jerusalem. At the time, Jerusalem was not Jerusalem, it was Jebu. Jebu becomes Jerusalem under the second king, David's reign. But Jerusalem is the center of everything. It is the center of everything. And if you can get to that area, you rule Israel. And we don't have time to go into all the reasons why country after country after country over the history of Israel has wanted to rule this land, but the Philistines were no different. They were on their way to taking the center of the country because there's a natural ramp between Gath and Jerusalem, and it's called the Elah Valley. This is where it is. If you looked at Google Maps, you'll still see that natural ramp going up to modern-day Jerusalem. And the road that is there today that you can drive follows the ancient road. It's still there. And so what you need to understand is this. This was a super crucial battle. The Philistines were about ready to take over the land that God had promised them, and the Israelites were scared to death. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Alex was with me on one of our Israel treks. He took this picture from the south of that into the Elah Valley. And last year when I took the, the last group, I took this from the top of Zaika. You can see how the valley is flat, where battles could take place. 
But that was the ramp going up into the center. You see the mountains in the background. That is Jerusalem area. So this was a crucial battle. Very crucial. Okay? So with that in mind, let's take a look at the scripture found in 1 Samuel 17. Here we go. The Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Sokol and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Daman. Saul, countered by King Saul, countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley of Elah between them. Okay? Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He wore a, bit, a bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's edge, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked out ahead of him. Whoa, stop. What, why an armor bearer for a dude this big? There's some guess maybe that he had acromegaly, which is a, a disease where a tumor comes up against the pituitary gland, and it presses on that, and it begins to force out growth hormones, and it doesn't stop. So what you get with that is what they call also gigantism. Your, your head forms larger. Uh, this area becomes very weak, by the way, when that happens. Uh, your eyesight is not as good um, and, and other features, but a lot of height comes with that. Is it possible that the reason Goliath had an armor bearer was he had somebody out front to see what was coming? That, 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 that's a, that's a, a question. Um, so, so he, uh, he uh, uh, stood and, sh and, and shouted a taunt to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called, I am a Philistine champion, but you're only servants of Saul. See, there he is. He's picking on Saul. Choose one man uh, to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you'll be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and his Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. This is going on for 40 days. And Jesse, the, the father of David, sends David to the battle lines, not because he's a warrior. He's a kid. He, he's a shepherd. But he says, I need you to supply your brothers with food. So he goes walking through the hills, and he comes up, and he hears all of this going on. He hears the giant. And, and David is like, I can't believe you guys. What, what's wrong here? Why doesn't somebody go out and take care of this guy? And his brothers told him, be quiet, punk. I mean, that's the way it translates in the Hebrew. Um, <laughs> and, and David asked this question, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyways? He's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. <laughs> David's, David's hot, okay? And, and, and so the story goes on. Um, uh, uh, you know, David says, I'll do it. And they said, be quiet, you're a kid. Get out of here, go home. And finally, he, he, Saul gets wind of it, and he says, well, what do you, what do you want? And, and David says, let me do this. I'll, I'll do this. And Saul says, no, you're a kid. No, you can't do it. And then he, he, he explains why. He says, I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go uh, after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. <laughs> 
Ooh, okay. <laughs> I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And you're thinking, are you, are you just like an arrogant little kid? And Saul's probably thinking, yeah, boy, this kid. I mean, Saul's scared. Why isn't this kid not scared? So Saul said, okay, all right. Okay, so here, put on my armor. David, it didn't fit. It didn't fit. He goes, just leave me alone. I know how to do this. And, and so he picks up a sling. Why? Because that's what shepherds used. Well, not just shepherds used him. People in the army used him. We'll talk about that. So David goes down to the battlefield, and, and he replies to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord's armies. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied today, the Lord will conquer you. Folks, if you read this story in its entirety, six times David says, it's not me, it's God who will take you down. So, so, so if you're tempted to think that David's just, just kind of an arrogant you know, punk, he actually understands what's going on here. Why? David, this young man, is here to remind the king of Israel, don't you remember who God is? Don't you remember he is God alone? He is the one who said, I will give you this land. And from this, your, 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 your family will grow greater than the sands of the seashore. And from you, will bless, we will bless the world. Don't you remember this is our land? They can't take it from us. They're defying the very God of Israel. It took a kid to remind the adults. Hmm. And then he goes on to say, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle. He will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack David, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Just a moment here. This is speculation but I find it interesting that whenever idols throughout the Bible were destroyed, often you will see the same pattern. They fell face down. If you were hit with what many believe would have been a projectile equal to a 45 caliber bullet in the head, don't you think it's logical he would have gone backwards? But no, he falls forward. I think that's symbolic, that this one who defied the God of Israel, like it or not, will bow before the God of Israel. Wow. What a story. What did you notice? The first thing I noticed is it's a boy. Now, when I say boy, marrying age in Israel at the time was about 18, and most men did that. So he wasn't 18, probably, based on the rest of what we know about David. I don't think he was 11. I think he was probably in his upper teens. But he was a boy. He was not a, a soldier. He was not a warrior. But it took him to remind the adults in the room who God is, right? And these people, the Israelites, were at a purposeful disadvantage. They were in a place where they needed God to show up, and David believed he would. So he uses a slingshot. We think of a slingshot as a toy. 
Or we think, well, okay, that's something shepherds used. Actually, you know, if you, if you Google David Sling, please don't do it right now, but if you Google David Sling, you will find that most of what you find on that Google page is talking about the modern-day uh, uh, weapon defense system of Israel. They call it David Sling. It was a joint effort between the U.S. and Israel. And basically, it can take out a warhead that's incoming in the air. They still call it David Sling. I've talked to many of the IDF, Israeli Defense Force uh, leaders, one in particular that we had here, Elliot Chodoff, who was, a, who was a major in the army. I said, is it true that David is still the model of the, what a real IDF soldier is? He goes, absolutely. And I said, is it true that the mighty men, David's mighty men, those, those who gathered in the cave of Adalam who were broken, are, is it true that they are still the model of what it means to be an IDF soldier? He said, absolutely. They are still the model. So isn't it interesting when Israel has its, his, his, its missile defense system, they call it David's sling. It wasn't a toy. It wasn't a toy at all. It was a, it was a weapon that was used in warfare. In fact, if you go to 2 Kings 3 and 1 Chronicles 12 and 2 Chronicles 26, you will find that the Israelite army oftentimes put on the front row of the army the slingers. The slingers were the ones who could use a sling and they would oftentimes be able to take out the first two or three rows of, of warriors on the other side before their arrows could ever reach them. They were known for being precise, very accurate, and very deadly. Um, you know, there's a picture of, a pro of some modern project or some projectiles that they found from ancient times. Inscribed with words, those words um, mean basically, take that. Have you ever seen in modern warfare people riding on bombs that are going to be dropped? You know, dear Saddam. Have you seen those? Yes, this is for you. That same thing. So in other words, we need to understand that this is not a toy. This is what they used in warfare. David wasn't a warrior. He was a shepherd. But he was already proficient in this. Now, um, a few years ago, I was able to find um, an actual, well, it wasn't David's sling, but a guy who makes... Uh, ancient weapons. And, and so Tanner Jackson is going to come up here. Tanner, how old are you, Tanner? Okay, 16. We're going to call him David this morning. Okay. And so Tanner's been, yeah, there you go. There you go. Tanner's going to remind us of who God is, but Tanner's been working with us a little bit. And it's not easy, is it? No. Okay. So um, don't worry. This is a foam ball. No giants will die. Okay. But Tanner's going to show us kind of how this happened. I'm going to just stand down here, Tanner. Okay. <laughs> Why don't you show us how that works? Can y'all see? I'll sit down. Boom. Okay. Thank you, Tanner. All right. <laughs> um, it, it might seem pretty simple, but that took a long time to learn how to get that thing to go that direction. Yes. <laughs> I've, I've played with it plenty. Um, David went into battle with that. Now, by the way, kids, um, here are five actual rocks that I picked up out of the Valley of Elah, the stream that runs through the valley where David picked up his five rocks. Um, why five? Uh, according to Jewish tradition, they, uh, Goliath had five brothers. That's confidence. So you can touch those, kids. You can touch those. You can, you can play with this. But because there's this and these, parents, it'd be great if you came up with them. Because um, <laughs> it works, trust me. So thank you, uh, Tanner. But what we need to understand 
is that David was confident. But his confidence was not in his abilities. Six times in that passage, David says, it is the Lord's battle and he will bring you down. And he did. And the Israelites won an important battle that day. They kept the Philistines at bay and they maintained the land because a kid reminded them of who God is and that he is for us. He forgives us. And the battle is his. You see, Goliath boasted in his abilities. David boasted in God's. That's the key. David was good. He brought his best to the field. But his trust was not in himself. His trust was in God alone. Yeah, it was a great message. And I think Jim has given this message before. Uh, he really loves this story. Like we said, who doesn't love this story? But I thought it was really interesting at the beginning we talked about, you know, this is really about land. You know, land acquisition and land loss. And uh, how the Philistines and the Israelites are always struggling back and forth to control these areas, right? Because the Philistines are down uh, to the south, you know, near the coast in this area that's a little bit more lush and easy to farm. Whereas Israel is up in the up in the highlands, you know. And so they're always kind of battling over control of trade routes and, and all this stuff. And so... That's really important for us to understand as we look at the story. You know, it's really about land. Yeah, it gives us a good picture to to be able to understand this story in than just a simple story of a, one little guy taking on a big guy. But there's a lot more to it than that. Isn't yeah. There? Well, and and also too, I think when we think about ancient warfare, you know, we we see all these movies, right? And it, it's not fun to make a movie about something where there isn't a huge battle. You know, so every story we hear see a movie of, there's a huge giant battle and so many people die. Often what would happen is a couple they'd come together, there'd be kind of a show of force, and then the one who had the smaller army would pay the other one and they would just kinda of be like, Okay, we're good. You know, it's so maybe they would just say, Okay, yeah, I guess you can have the land, you know. So a lot of times it wouldn't always come to blows. So the idea that there would be this idea of champion, you know, that uh, Jim talked about champion warfare where they would just fight instead of the armies, you know, that would be preferable than losing a, a lot of people like you would in an ancient battle. Way preferable. Uh, a lot less fewer loss of life and so yeah i would i'd be nice if we did that today that'd be <laughs> nice just show up and you know whoever's more impressive wins yeah or, no one has or to a die. champion battle you know right i would not want to be our champion i feel like there's some tough people out there in the world oh yeah but uh yeah interestingly but talking about tough people out in the world you know goliath we have this idea of him being you know kind of a a giant from from myth you know huge and thick boned and you know just a just a massive, massive man, and he was, uh, but there's the possibility, and it's a maybe, you know, it's a big maybe. I actually heard this first, Malcolm Gladwell does a uh, kind of a storytelling thing, and he told this story that possibly um, that, uh, you know, uh, Goliath had acromegaly, this idea of a tumor pressing on his pituitary gland that caused him to grow, and he would be very big, but also he'd have a hard time walking, and he would have some vision problems. So that was that was really interesting to hear that that might be the case. Yeah, that was interesting. I I don't I don't think I'd ever heard about that before. I mean, I knew about the possible giantism and everything, but I'd never heard that visual uh, issues were associated with that. So, mm -hmm. pretty interesting to hear. Yeah, 
come at me with sticks. You know, he has some of the things he sees. He, he probably can't, couldn't see very well. Yeah, is this a dog coming at with me with sticks? Maybe you right. looked like a dog. I don't know. Right, right. <laughs> Which has got to be, you almost feel bad for Goliath a little bit. But um, yeah, no, it's interesting. I think uh, what was really cool to me is it really didn't matter if he had this um, issue that would cause him to be disadvantaged because either way, the sling was an incredible weapon. You know, we think of the sling as like, oh, just a little slingshot for little kids to play with. But uh, people were deadly with these things and very skilled and could hunt and and in warfare, they were very important. And that's why it was cool to have Tanner come up and really show us. And I thought that was really cool. I did too. Yeah, a little demonstration of it, you know, because ever since in childhood, I sing about little David and only a boy named David and all this stuff. And I, and I just think it's just a child's toy, but when, you know, it has the power of a gun. Oh my goodness. So yeah, that's, it's very impressive. And especially when you put the power of God behind that, I mean, oh my word. Yeah. No, I I thought, you know, and you really talked about this earlier and and you were kind of moved and you're always moved every time you hear the story at David's courage. Mm -hmm. I am. Yeah. I love David's courage when, uh, people are looking down and they see this gigantic man down there. And well, I'm not going to fight him. You, I'm not going to fight him. Saul, come on. And David's going around, come on, fight him. Don't you have faith? I mean, trust in God. And no one did. And fine, I'll fight him. And they try the armor on him and that doesn't fit. And whatever, I'll fight him without the armor. And wow, what faith that is. Um, I mean, trying to apply that to, to my personal life here. Uh, and do I have that kind of faith in God? Uh, or, oh, well, fine, I'll, I'll go take on this without the armor. And it's very moving for me to think about David, who had total, total faith uh, in God. Yeah, I think it's cool that he, not only did he have total faith, but in, in the end, he doesn't boast about himself. And I got to say, man, it'd be hard for me to not want to boast to myself a little bit. You know, I just took down a giant, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? To, hey, man, look at me. But uh, instead, David is, he is very much points to God, right? He very much is, and his even his faith, it, really the reason he knows he's going to win is because he believes in God, right? It's not because of himself versus a Goliath who boasted, you know? And when you think about the possibility of him having this, disease, you wonder if that boasting was, you know, just to be for show. You know, he was kind of somebody they brought out to show off, and, you know, they knew that he might be able to get beat by somebody because he had all these issues. But, you know, it's just so interesting, right, that David had all this power and really was skilled, uh, but also mostly had faith in God versus this Goliath who might have just been for show, right, and he gets exposed. You know, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it is interesting, and and I've always enjoyed that it didn't seem like David was intimidated for a second hmm. through this whole story that I don't notice any hint of intimidation there. Right. And uh, I, I, I would love to say that I'm like that, uh, and, I, and I hope I could at some point. But um, yeah, he truly believed if God is for you, who, who can be against you? Right. And that was his closing point, right? When God alone's with you, any rock any rock's going to do. Yep. Right. It's not about what you have. It's about, you know, the power of God being with you. And so when you choose to go into those battles, being ready to understand that it's God who's going to make it happen. And that was David's faith. 
And so as you're listening today, uh, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what is going on in your life, uh, we believe that God has a plan for you, that you're valuable because you are his and because he died for you. And so you're always welcome here at Crossroads, and we would love to see you. Uh, please, you know, get in contact with us if you're listening to the podcast today and you have any questions about this message or another message. Uh, we would love to answer any questions you have. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week.